0: go ahead and hit record because they're part outtake and they're part promo, right? So what I'll do is I'll record you saying something like, hi, this is Denise Walsh from denisewalsh.com and the Dream Podcast. What is it? Dreamcast? Dreamcast. Dreamcast Podcast. Mm -hmm. And you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. Vroom, vroom. er, Something stupid, (laughs) funny. Yes, that makes you laugh. Uh, and then I take that little sound bite and put it on somebody else's show at the beginning, and right. everybody's confused. And then and then there's an intro and another show happens. That's my show. Okay. Room vroom <laughs> veer. Exactly. There you go. So whenever you're ready to do that, go. All
1: right. My name is Denise Walsh from the Dreamcast podcast, and I am on Room Room Veer with Jeff. Oh, dear <laughs> You did it right, Jeff Smith. Okay. Hi, guys. My name is Denise Walsh from Dreamcast Podcast, and I am on Room, Room, Veer with Jeff Smith. Room.
0: Lovely. That was one of my favorites. <laughs> and you got a great laugh. Thank you. Oh,
1: dear. That- <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. Silly's good. All right. That's I-, good. I have to hit stop on the recorder. I'm going to make a new file. I'll be right back. Mr. Clay, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer, and welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: I'm good. I'm good. My pleasure. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here today. I'm really looking forward to this. So thank you for having me on the show.
0: Um, you're welcome. And, uh, and let's have some fun. So let's talk a little bit about class-pr.com. or hyphen pr. Com. Uh, mm-hmm. This is your DIY, sort of like PR, do-it-yourself website. So talk a little bit about what's going on and what you're most excited about at your business today.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, it's called class PR, but yeah, the website's class hyphen PR.com. Gotcha. And yet what we, what I'm doing is as a former journalist and a PR director, I wanted to set up a, an online training school that allows small businesses to take control of their PR themselves to get great media coverage to be able to get into the you know the national newspapers on the biggest blogs and podcasts and tv and radio without having to hire a you know an expensive PR agency for thousands of pounds a month or thousands of dollars a month I'll translate that (laughs) Um, and 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 know, and and that might seem odd because I run a PR agency I've got another business where I you know I do that sort of thing but you know what's I've been tearing my hair out for years because I've seen some like really awesome startups, entrepreneurs, smaller businesses who have got brilliant stories around brilliant products and brilliant services, and I love working with them. But they just do not have the money to kind of to to, to hire a PR agency. So I thought, right. you know. How can I kind of create a solution that works for them and works for me? So we built this business, Class PR, and it's like, it's an online PR training school. You go in there, you 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 kind of, we've got tons of free resources there, like PR hack videos, loads of how-to blogs, how-to guides, templates. One of our main things that people love is this press release template, which anybody can download from our homepage at oh, classpr.com. It's brilliant. It literally tells you how to create a newsworthy story a journalist is going to love. Okay. Nice. And, and then when people are ready, they do our online course, which is famous. It's kind of like, uh, most people do it over about six weeks. You're watching a real classroom full of small business owners just like you mm. going through this boot camp uh, and we've kind of we've created like a a recipe a formula if you like for doing PR for your own business so you start on day one and you start to understand what makes things newsworthy what's newsworthy about your business how to target the right types of media how to find c- contact journal- details for the journalists how to then shape a story how to write a story how to pitch how to appear you know, in the media, all, all the different steps. so you can kind of turn up as a novice on day one, do this online course, you get monthly webinars as well throughout the year. so if you get stuck, you can ask questions, right, got right. Re- and and so the whole thing basically for like a fraction of what you would pay sure. for a month, for a monthly retainer and mm-hmm. it's I love it because it really empowers small business owners and startups to do their own PR and they start to realize actually, they can do this themselves. They don't need to, to hire an agency at the beginning. They really, you know, and, you're putting and, yourself uh, what, out of a job. Wait a minute. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and I, I'm happy to do that. You know, because right, right. I, I, I love, like, you know, and we'll go into slate, but you know, part of me is I love to create. I love to build things, and mm. that for me is the thrill. And, and I just thought, you know, this there's a real market for this, and the people who are doing it are absolutely loving it. And what A big part of it is, yeah, we teach. You know, I'm a former journalist. Twenty years ago, I started out as a journalist, and then I set up my own PR agency. So you know, right? So I know how the game works, so I can teach you how the game works. But what I didn't anticipate when we built this thing was how much has been actually, and it's a joy to see this is teaching people to kind of to give them confidence and to believe in themselves. Because actually, Mm. what holds most people back from, you know, getting their business in the New York Times or on CNN or the BBC, BBC or the Guardian or whatever is is fear <laughs> is they right, think oh, right. I don't have a story. The or, journalist yeah will just, yeah. Or, yeah yeah you know and so and what you have to realize is that a journalist what they care about more than anything is not how big your business is how massive your turnover is or not is actually is it a good, do, is it a good story is it a good story yeah. do you have something new is it a first is it remarkable is it counterintuitive right. is it kind of paradoxical is it just downright odd it's got
0: it's got to check some boxes.
1: It's got to, It's yes. got to, it. and that's yes. what we teach you, and yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and it's fab. I love it. I love it.
0: No, it sounds amazing. You know, and um, I've I learned this. You know, it, it sounds like most things are similar. So, you know, a lot. Of what you've kind of like internalized in your twenty years of experience at your jobs, you know, mm-hmm. you know, career, right? Was you know just like the nuts and bolts of the PR business. Right. So then you can take nearly anything, (laughs) right. (laughs) And any business, right. And, 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 you know, make format it correctly. So it fits, right. Do you know, you've,
1: you've hit the nail on the head there, Jeff. Yeah. It's not being arrogant, but when you've done something, you know, like for more than 10,000 hours or whatever, right? you just, it becomes muscle. It's like DNA. Right. And so, and I say to people, I say, I don't care if you're It's like saying, automatic, right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And it's like, and, and, and it's, yes, okay, things have changed massively. We've got, you know, Instagram and Twitter and all these digital comms techniques and whatever. But at the heart of all of that, you know, is the ability to tell a great story and right. to find something that connects with people on an emotional level. And it doesn't matter what technology comes in the future, that is still going to be the thing that is at the heart of all these platforms. And, and, and what, and so doing it for all these years, you just, you become the ability to kind of, you see, you almost see the world in, in headlines, you know, which can be, which can be negative sometimes, but also, yeah, yeah, (laughs) no, I get it
0: because yeah, comedians say the same thing, right? I, 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 I heard Jerry Seinfeld talking to, uh, Howard Stern, right? Yep. And in you know, Jerry Seinfeld has been so good at comedy for so long when he watches mm-hmm. a comic, he's not watching a comic like you and me, right? No, he's watching a comic as a comic and he's going, mm, yeah, yeah. And then when he when he when he's really impressed, it's like, oh, he's not necessarily laughing. He's going, oh, that killed. (laughs) Right. It's true. It's true. And he's seeing it completely. He's seeing it through the eyes of a master or an expert.
1: I think that's it. It's like once somebody said to me, once you see how the magician does the trick, it's not magic anymore. Correct. And that, so first of all, that can be like, oh, that's a bit sad. But then it's like, oh, hang on a minute. Now I can be a magician. It's sad <laughs> only
0: insofar as you're you're looking at a different thing now. You're exactly. seeing exactly. behind the curtain, so to speak. And But, exactly. you know, it doesn't mean you still can't appreciate it. It's just a no, different no, level. No, no. Right. It's a different I,
1: appreciation. And you hit on something great there Jeff about you know once you understand the core principles of a discipline in here it's like it's journalism it's storytelling it's PR right then i don't care if you've got a, a cheese business or a tech business Right. It actually the, right. the principles the principles are the same
0: yeah it's it's to to, to a certain extent it's like um packaging you know exactly <clears throat> it's exactly. formatting and packaging as long as and the you know this is the other thing that people lose sight of it's like just like any other marketing, you know, done well, it it throws gas on a fire, right? Hugely. Right? Absolutely. But the thing that people lose sight of is, is you know, make sure you're ready <laughs>
1: well, that, <laughs> for people to show
0: up, you know?
1: <laughs> well, there's an old adage that nothing kills a bad product better than good advertising.
0: Exactly. That's my point. It's, right. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, it's true. It's true. I always say to people, you know, when people are ready, to, and this is why, you know, if you, if you, especially if you're a small business and your budgets are limited and everything, learn these skills of storytelling and understanding how to put your business out there, you know, in the media but on high-profile blogs and everything. Learn these skills because actually, it will inform how you run your business. It will change wh- what you th- know about your customers and what they want to understand about you. Being great at PR actually forces you to step outside of your business and look at it from your customer's point of view Mm. and understand what they really want to know about you and the messages and the stories that really connect with them. And so that's why I I say to people who go through the course, look, we're taking you back to first principles, but this information is going to be so useful through all elements of your business, actually. and. You know, now is the time to invest in this knowledge because further down the road, when say you do have more money and you think, you know what, we do need to hire a PR agency or whatever, you're going to be so much better informed. You're going to be a smarter consumer and you're not going to blow, you know, 20 grand on an agency and get nothing for it.
0: Right, right. You're not going to accept the first pitch because you're going to go, why are you doing that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're you're going to be an educated consumer, you know, and so... So that's why, yeah, it's 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 great, you know, to see people in power to understand that they already have stories in their business. We just need to teach them how they can tell them, and then, the, you know, and give them the permission to go and go and get great media coverage for their business. Because me, and also what I've noticed, kind of things have almost gone full circle. You know, we've got this proliferation of podcasts, like we're on now, and you know, and blogs and everything. But almost now, getting in those real Premier League sort of media. Uh, Outlets like Entrepreneur.com or Inc. or you know CNN or the New York Times—it's almost more important now because you need to stand. You know, if you really want to stand above the crowd, getting featured by those sorts of levels of media just puts you, you know, in a different category, and the air is pretty
0: rarefied Rarefied, up there. Yes. (laughs) So okay, but this this being Vroom Vroom Veer, we have to go back in time and talk about your story, right? Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, it scares everybody. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I love talking about myself <laughs> oh good good so okay I know you're well according to Skype you're in Bath now, but um yeah. where did you grow up in England or did you grow up in England or was so it some I the grew place? up
1: no no, no I grew up in England, just down the road from where William Shakespeare was born um, so I guess writing was in the blood um, so yeah. just out, just outside stratford upon avon um right. little, in a little village called Warwick so slap at uh, Barford sorry so slap bang in the middle of England basically as far as I visited
0: that place stratford on avon yeah.
1: yeah well that's, that's that's where I was so I was brought up and like my parents when I was younger my mum ran the house as like a bed and breakfast and this is wow. way before Air, way before Airbnb right <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so like every, it's funny because every night because we were right next to stratford on avon like we would have Americans and Australians and Japanese like staying in our house because of course oh, they're wow. all going there to, to, to visit and so I kind of it was funny at like a young age I loved having all these different people in the house every night that's just fun. a kind of small yeah. house yeah kind of got me speaking to people and it was really early on that I just loved speaking to people and kind of news and finding out what people were doing and I guess that's where I kind of I don't know maybe the spark was yeah. lit to go on and uh, journalism and communications so yeah I so so right in the middle of England is where I grew up and then um kind of, yeah, stayed there until I did all my schooling and all that sort of stuff. And then I went to university up in, uh, in Sheffield in the north of England, Okay, which, which was, uh, yeah, basically a three-year party. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you did it right, in my opinion, then.
1: It was, it was in the middle of the 1990s, you know, there was a, there was a real amazing music scene in the UK called Brit pop, like loads of guitar bands, which I love. Mm. And it was just, and it was one of those Northern cities where like, it, you know, every other venue like had bands on and beer was cheap and
0: yeah,
1: yeah it was just, it was a very carefree, wonderful And what did, time. What did you
0: study in uni?
1: So I studied completely, uh, uh randomly geography and politics. Oh, I So love I it. read geography yeah, I loved it, because it was human geography, so it was all about people and, like, you know, movement and all this sort of stuff. And I deliberately just chose something that I was kind of into. Like, nothing – I wasn't thinking That's great. career. At that time,
0: That's good. That's why I think the college experience has gotten a little too focused on just get a job, you know, kind of thing.
1: Do you know, I had no idea. I'll be honest. I mean, I knew that I loved, like, news and all that sort of stuff. But there was – not even at the beginning of college, I didn't think I was going to be a journalist in particular. I was just like, let's just do something you enjoy. Right, and, right, right. And And – and I had a blast and, you know, and I used to I, I write a lot of music and all that sort of stuff. So I like playing in bands and everything, that was just, it was just, it was just so much fun. And, you know, and mm. I'm really pleased now looking back that I kind of did that because that's the time to do it. <laughs> See, my
0: college experience was not, uh, uh, I was in the Air Force when everybody else was in college. So I went from 18 uh, year old guy in college. So when I was 18, still, I went to Japan. So for two years... 18, 19, I guess it was 18, 19, 20. So it straddled the third year a little bit. <clears throat> but yeah, that was the best I could say is like close to my college experience. And I had a couple of more years screwing around before I got married in Hawaii. <laughs> nice,
1: nice. Yeah,
0: that was, that, those two were as close as I can point to, because to, I lived in a dorm both times, you know, mm-hmm. they were college-like Mm -hmm. I'll say Mm -hmm. that. You know, single guy, chasing girls. Yeah, 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 yeah. good times. I learned how to say odorimashoka. That's the very, very formal way of saying shall we dance in Japanese. How do you say it again? Odorimashoka. Odorimashoka.
1: Odorimashoka. I'm going to remember that one. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. You're married with kids. Could get me in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you know, it's funny you mentioned the Air Force thing because – I did have a brief, um, so I kind of grew up like worshiping my grandfather who was in the, in the forces in the second world war. He was at Dunkirk. He was on the Atlantic convoys and everything. So I had an idea. Hero, Yes. Yeah. He was my hero and I had an idea of going into the forces. And so I did actually apply to join the Royal air force over in the UK Mm. when I was like 16 and was offered a scholarship and I kind of, you know, to be a navigator, the whole deal. And then literally I kind of when I was about 17 and a half, I was thinking, OK, this is this is this my is kind I'm, of yeah, this is what I'm yeah. going to do. And then I literally just woke up one day and thought, no, I, this is just not me at all. And kind of just dropped the whole thing. And then just and that was when I decided, you know what, for university, I'm just going to do something I enjoy. and I'm going to go and have fun. And wow. Yeah.
0: Talk. Of, now, we would <laughs> that call that ways. I would call that a veer. That's a veer moment where you
1: just it was a definite veer. out
0: of the blue, wake up and completely change your life.
1: It was it was a definite veer, and uh, yeah. if there's time, I could tell you a funny story about Please. it. Please, so, so, so <laughs> that's
0: basically. what this show's about, kind of, you know. Uh, okay, funny story. so this
1: was around 1990, the time of the first Iraq War, I and uh, and so yeah, you know, I was pretty serious about joining up to the RAF. I went for officer selection and all this sort of stuff, and I got through. You know, and it's quite hard to get these scholarships, so that's it was competitive. quite a cheap, right? Yeah, it's very. And it was a real achievement. My dad was massively proud of me and everything, and then literally, I did have a veer. I just woke up one morning, you know, as I was sitting in my A level you know to go to university and uh, I just went nah this is I'm not I'm not a fighter I'm a lover this is not for me at all
0: and it's and probably a good idea.
1: because yeah, if, exactly. if you yeah, wouldn't I was fit my, in. I was, yeah. I, was, I was growing my hair. I was listening to Nirvana and Pearl Jam and this, and it was like, no, this is, this is, this, is, this jam, this isn't me, this isn't me. And so I told my dad, and he was kind of like disappointed. He's like, you've got this great opportunity and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, no. Nah. He's like, oh, you idiot, and all this sort of stuff. Oh, I can imagine but,
0: that your parents were just devastated
1: by this Yeah, decision. they were, yeah. They, especially my yeah. dad, I think he Because thought,
0: that you know, is like the the quintessential, what do they call it? The right hand path, right? Of join yeah. the military and you know salute the flag and God all and that. country and the Queen and all those things, right? And, all that, all that. and, and, I and just and then went, you go me.
1: <laughs> I, went, I, went, I went and here's a golden opportunity, and I went no, no thanks. And and bah. then about a couple of weeks later, I was at home studying for like my 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 entrance exams for university, and the phone went, and there was this really. Posh guy on the phone, and he said, Hello, oh, no, this is Wing Commander Smith here. Um, you might have noticed we've got a bit of bother over in the Middle East at the moment, uh, over in Iraq, and uh, wonder if you could, you know, pop up to uh, Officer Selection again and, you know, get on a plane and come out and help us. And I was going, What? And so I, was, and so my voice was getting higher and higher. I was going, But no, but I, I, I told you I didn't want to join up. I don't want to come. <laughs> Right, this sort of right. And this, and this guy in the end, the, well, I'm sorry, you know, there's a shortage of men and, you know, things are kicking off out in Iraq and, you know, it'd be really great if you could you could join us. And I was going, yeah, but I, I can't. And so I was replying on the phone, going, yeah, but I. I came for officer selection. You offered me a scholarship, but I, I I don't want to do it. It's really not for me. Well, you know, this is not acceptable. You know, you really, really should think about you're letting your country down here and all. And I was like, oh my god, this guy is bloody serious. He's not messing about. Right. Suddenly, suddenly the phone goes quiet, and then my dad comes on the other end and says, "Got ya." <laughs> oh. And he, and he got he got his, he got his boss at work to impersonate an REF officer just wow. to wind me up
0: wow <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and
1: my voice was getting higher
0: I don't want to go to Iraq but I don't, don't, don't want to sh- go to <laughs> I don't want to get shot of the sky <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow yeah.
0: holy dignity, cow dignity out the window <laughs> yikes but you didn't you didn't back down you didn't sign up at least
1: no I did not I said no I'm not going <laughs> good for you
0: yeah <laughs> okay that was a that was a great story and I also I noticed in my my notes that I took before as we were doing our pre-show chat that you'd mentioned that you had spent some time in India hanging out in monasteries, but I don't want to talk about that yet. We have to finish this uh, this story about you and university and screwing around and and keep on this at least somewhat semi chronological order story so what yeah, was yeah. your what was your first job after university because it doesn't sound like you were all that job focused so i'm, I'm interested did you get into journalism right away or was yeah well not? so in,
1: in my third year my last year of university i was thinking okay so you know Need to get a job, <laughs> uh, got to pay bills, know, right? Yeah, you know, and 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 I was starting to think, okay, you know, this has been fun, but actually, you know, I, w- I really want to do something purposeful and meaningful in my life, and I've always had very creative energy, you know, like creative writing, and I've done student journalism at university and all that sort of stuff, and then so then I kind of in my last year, I just thought, do you know what, I, I I love I love the news, I love finding out what's going on. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a journalist, and so wow. what. What you have to do in the UK is you do then a post-grad diploma uh, in journalism before you can kind of enter the the world of work. This is like 1998, so the internet is just kind just of taking blossoming, off, as they just say. blossoming mm. and so um and so i, I took he so i took about six months out after university just to earn some money so i had some money to kind of pay to kind of go back and study again okay and, and then uh so, so i came back home lived home for six months uh, back with my parents and was kind of like that was enough to know that i never wanted to do that again and, <laughs> uh, and then i went back up to college and and yeah and did my fast track um post-grad in journalism and uh, and I've always been very driven and very ambitious. And, um, and so you kind of do your six months uh, journalism introduction uh, exams, which is around like law and public affairs and shorthand and just journalistic skills and all those sorts of things like okay. writing. And I did very well. You know, I kind of passed with like distinction and. And then you're encouraged to then, you know, back then, but like I say, at the beginning of the internet, to then apply to work on a local weekly newspaper, then a local, read, you know, a daily newspaper. And then gradually over the next 10 years, you kind of work, if you're lucky enough, mm. you try and work your way up to one of the nationals. So, you know, over here, we've got like The Times, The Guardian, The Sun, The Mirror, you know, big national newspapers. Right. And so for me, that was far too boring. I was like. Too much yeah, of that right-handed
0: like, path that you've already rejected. Way, yes.
1: Yeah. Way too slow. Okay. So I was like, no, I'm going to work on a national newspaper straight away. And people like, mm. that's ridiculous. You can't do that at 22. Mm. And so no, no, no I'm going to do it. So I wrote to all the nationals, are uh, begging for work experience and saying, look, I'll do whatever it, you know. I'll stand in the corner and make tea. I don't I'll care. I'll work you know, for whatever. free. Absolutely. All that sort of stuff. And mm. then the in, the uh, the independent newspaper, which is a national newspaper, they actually wrote back and said, okay, you come in over Easter and, uh, you know, let's, you know, see how you get on. So I was literally, you know, I was just running errands and kind of doing work experience, you know, and mm. just doing whatever it took and just shadowing reporters. And, you know, I was in a national newsroom having you know, done a tiny bit of work experience in a local newspaper, but not a lot. And so it was, you know, I was down to London, I was in Canary Wharf, I was on in the newsroom, and it was, my God, it was a baptism fire. And and just at that time, um, the uh the, the the kind of the 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 newspaper that owned the independent the mirror which is a huge old newspaper in the UK was setting up a little local newspaper for London called the Wharf for the canary Wharf area and but it was based in the main newsroom and um, and so I kind of applied for that and I got offered a job as a junior reporter straight away wow and I was like okay. oh my God so okay so it is a kind of local newspaper but it's in the middle of London and it's in the middle of the main national newspaper newsroom. So I'm rubbing shoulders with these, you know, amazing. You're in the same room.
0: As I'm basically. in the room. You're in the, the room. This, yes. it, you
1: know, and it's yeah. all about who you know. And, you know, and, and obviously you've got to be. Good. And then, so I sat, so I started on this newspaper. I was on there for nine months. And I got a massive story for like for the UK just completely by luck. Uh, there was a big politician over in the UK called Jeffrey Archer, who had been done for kind of basically being a crook and, and all this sort of stuff. I he was remember always the
0: name. The yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: He was always in the news. <laughs> I think he, he actually went to prison in the end for uh, for perjury. Wow. And uh, okay. And uh, and and it turned out his son was working in um, in one of the banks in Canary Wharf, and I discovered through a number of contacts that kind of he was involved in some very dodgy practices illegal practices and uh, and and th- and he yeah he was breaking the law and he was insider trading and all this sort of stuff and we broke this story in this little local newspaper for this part of london and because of his famous association it just blew up it was on the front page of all like the the main national newspapers and the editor of the mirror at the time was a chap called piers morgan who you may have heard I've of. i've heard of him yeah yeah, yeah. And uh, and he was like who's you know which who's broken this story sort of thing, you know. And um, and it was me, the kid on the the little local newspaper, not one of his main journalists. Wow. And so I was invited in and offered a job on the big newspaper. <laughs> wow. And so at the age of 22, I found myself working as a as a as a grad, as a trainee journalist on the Daily Mirror newspaper in London and yeah, that was a vertical rise. <laughs>
0: Was, wow were you ready yeah. that's the that's yeah. the question you know
1: it uh, was i ready probably not no
0: <laughs> probably not
1: <laughs> I, I was i was as green as they came but you know and i would take my news editor's story ideas every day and they they were terrible but i always remember you know a great piece of advice he's, he's a lovely guy eugene duffy the news editor said to me he said after I'd been there a while, he said, you know, most of the ideas you bring are basically absolute crap. But the fact that you are coming up with ideas that he said, you know, one in fifty, if that works, then I want you on the team. Wow. And so that that was a kind of indication that, you know, um something I've taken through my career and that I look for when I've hired people is like attitude is everything. You know, to have that kind of especially if you're working in journalism, if you haven't got hunger, then why the hell are you there? You know, right and so and so um so then yeah so then i did that for a few years i stayed at the mirror for a few more years and then i went on to uh itv as they were kind of doing digital stuff this and like i say remember this is the early 2000s as the media landscape that we're stood on is like shifting beneath our feet right and you can see even established massive news brands and journalists are Everything's going changing yeah what the hell's going on right you know you're know, where the gate- you know we're the gatekeepers of information. Well, no, not anymore. You know, and so. Um, so tell tell me like,
0: when w- were you in, the media still in, working in national media in some capacity when, it started like, like when bloggers started to come up on your radar. What was that like? Yeah, yeah what what, yeah. what were like editors saying about like the blog
1: sphere? <laughs> so, do you know what? It's so funny. I, I, So I left journalism to move into PR in 2007, I think. Okay. So yeah, so it's firmly happening. You know, social media is coming through, blogging's right. coming through. There's YouTube and I, is coming soon. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I remember going to like uh, a training session with like this guy who came into the newsroom to tell us about this thing called rss feeds (laughs) Mm, yes and i can just remember like what what the bloody hell is that no this isn't going to catch on (laughs) you know i can remember sitting there and i also remember when somebody in the newsroom said right we're going to write an article about celebrity websites and i was like okay what what do these celebrities do on these websites and this is kind of like 1999 and i said well so how do i find out about them and this and i can still remember this conversation this guy said use this thing called Google, go onto it and just type in what you're looking for and it will come up. Wow. And I, yeah, yeah and so I, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can still see the moment I was introduced to Google, the word Google and, and it was like, oh, okay. And so, so, so I started to see, okay, this is changing things. And I can still, I remember going to, um, so started to be aware of bloggers and stuff, but it was still fairly low fly. The, the blogging sort of scene and right. it wasn't having that much impact on the mainstream media. It was in the still early
0: more 20s. of a, like a, um, like a curiosity, you know, yeah, yeah, not it a wasn't. threat,
1: <laughs> you know, <It> was, <laughs> and, but then I remember there was a watershed moment. I think it was around about 2006 or something like that. And it was, and I went to a, a training, uh, with this really awesome guy who was like plugged into social media right in the early days with MySpace and all that sort of stuff. And he started speaking about this thing called Twitter and, I can still remember sitting in that room and literally the penny dropped. And I went, this is going to change everything. Really? Yeah. Honestly, I I, figured it out like right away. I'm not being big headed, but I really did. I went, Oh my God, this is totally going to change the game. for how, how
0: yeah. Yeah. What was it about Twitter that flipped the switch in your brain for you? Like right away? Because (laughs) the first time I heard about Twitter, a friend of mine told me about it and I was like, why I, you know, it, I didn't get it. You know, it made absolutely no sense to me. I was like, who cares? Why? You know, <laughs> you
1: know what I, I think because because, because you had yeah. already
0: had the PR yeah, journalist because, brain. OK,
1: I think it was the journalist brain because, you know, right. we, Facebook was around the same time as well. And I was kind of like, yeah, OK, mm-hmm. that's great. But it, 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 I didn't have the same reaction to Facebook. I'll be honest right. that I did to Twitter, and I think it's because one of the main jobs when you're uh, sitting on the news desk as a journalist, uh, as a journalist, is you you one of you is monitoring what's called the newswire. Okay, so the newswire mm-hmm. is saying like PA in the UK or AP in America, the Associated right. Press. And so this was an old piece of software that sat on your desktop, and it just ticked over all day with. Uh, just headlines with right. a par of what the main bit of the story was and then the, the rest of the story was in it if you opened it up and this was being fed to by uh, news agencies all over the uk all over the world reporters freelancers would feed information into this and that and so us journalists were the gatekeepers if you like and we were the only people who had access to this newswire okay and, and when i saw twitter i was like well this is just a newswire for everybody <laughs> and, and, and it's and accessible
0: I'll, by text
1: and SMS. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And it was like, oh my God. And I remember going back to my colleagues, and I'll be honest with you, us journalists didn't want to see what was happening, I think a lot of people. Some people, yeah, were you like had really head in
0: the sand kind of reaction. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah I do. I think a lot of people right. um you know, not not consciously, but perhaps subconsciously, kind of um, resisted it a bit because, like, yeah. hang on Well, a you're threatened.
0: Yeah. You're, you're, yes. Your livelihood threatened. is – your threatened. way of life is threatened. It's like totally. being a musician. All of a sudden, I can't sell records anymore. Shit. I can't sell news to, anymore. Damn it.
1: <laughs> but, but it appealed to the – there's always been an entrepreneurial spirit in me, which which was why I kind of – and I can come on – I had to kind of leave journalism because it didn't satisfy that part of me. But I was excited by this. And I can literally remember speaking to one of my colleagues, Andy, and saying – Twitter's going to change everything it's going to be like you know trust me this is this is a complete game changer it will influence the news agenda and he's like who cares what somebody you know and it was that classic who cares what somebody had for breakfast comment and i went <laughs> right and i was like oh my god and you know and it makes me laugh now because years you know 10 years later i see all my journalist colleagues you know and they're all over it and they use it to source case studies and find stories and you know and and you it's know it's so big it's it's yeah it's, it's just so it's, big
0: what what I what somebody taught me the thing about that most people lose track of because I think there's two two types of Twitter users, right, and I'm the mm-hmm. robot tr- Twitter user. I just feed things into a robot and then they tweet magically forever, <laughs> okay I, I know it's partly evil, I just don't care <laughs> okay, but um, somebody said, followers don't matter, right if you don't want to be famous, followers don't matter. And mm. if you if you just use hashtags, everybody can see you if they search on a hashtag. Yep. I'm like, yep. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's how most people are using Twitter. They're searching yep. hashtags. So it once was, it, that was a light bulb moment for me.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I totally agree with you. The hashtag thing blew my mind. Right, it was like, oh, so hang on a minute. Right. So I'm not just speaking to my 200 people. If I put the word you know, uh, you know, hashtag um Super Bowl or whatever, then anybody else who's following the Super Bowl can see this. Right. That's that's insane. Yeah. That's viral. And and yeah, so it just I just knew that that it's I mean I don't you know I didn't I didn't foresee how it would influence her politics and all this sort of stuff right. so much. But I certainly knew it was gonna be a game changer, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and then the other thing I think about that made Twitter blow up was the fact that celebrities can use it to get themselves in trouble.
1: <laughs> yeah, just, just, uh, yeah, they can bypass their PR Yes,
0: right. And, and, and just that's just that human shit. nature, right? <laughs> yeah. that, that people are going to do that because we're emotional and irrational usually, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm it's mad. I'm going to do a tweet storm. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I know. I don't get that. I mean, it does sadden me that, that kind of the whole – trolling side of it and everything I just think oh you know well the thing about
0: humans is we're you know we're simultaneously awesome and shitty right yeah Yeah. (laughs) the best of us and the worst of us you have to take us whole and love us I guess so I think we've uh uh we've gotten to the work thing um, mm-hmm. so now before we get to the, you're hanging out in your monastery stories mm-hmm. in India, cause that sounds amazing. Um, talk a little bit about your meditation practice, because I know you do a meditation practice and I'm always yep. uh, looking to get insights about how, how people do that.
1: Yeah. So I, well, I mean, it is linked to obviously my travels to India and everything, but my, yeah, my meditation practice is, um, it's based on it's a Tibetan Buddhist meditation practice oh, cool. and I and I do it every morning and, but it's, it's not, um, for me, it's about, um, in, integrating it into my day actually. Right. So I don't, I don't kind of just sit for 20 minutes in the morning and go, right, I've done my meditation. It's, it really is a resting the mind, uh, practice kind of right. eyes open. And it just allows me like, you know, especially when you work online and you know, you're sat at a desk all day just to kind of, you can feel what that energy when you're starting to go up too much in your head, you know, yeah, you totally. kind of feel like, congested. And I will literally, you know, and this is one of the benefits of running your own business, I guess, is that you can do the weird stuff and <laughs> don't care what anybody right. else thinks. There's
0: nobody around and, to yell at you. That's,
1: yeah, nice. yeah. And I can yeah. just kind of, I would just sit there and just kind of exhale, breathe out. And just, even if it's just 20, 30 seconds, several times through the day, just drop kind of the, the, the intensity of my gaze and just focus on my breath and just, yeah, I, I do an open eye meditation and just let that mind energy kind of settle back down into kind of my heart, I guess. And then it's never ceases to amaze me. Even like 10, 20 seconds of that, you then come back to what you're doing and you feel totally different. Right. You bring a, you bring a real clarity to it. Yes, I do sit in the morning before I leave the house and kind of just do some more sort of formal meditation practice just for kind of 10 minutes, usually just resting on the breath and just, um, like I say, an open eyed, uh, meditation technique. Um, but it's a kind of, it's a feeling of letting go that I have to incorporate into my day every day because otherwise I just get too. like the Tibetans have a word for it. It's called lung and like lung energy is like, if you have too much lung energy, it, your your mind starts racing and it kind of gets of anxious thoughts or just you, you you're not kind of s- focusing on a single point of work and the danger, you know, when we work online, I've got twenty browsers open, and I'm listening to a podcast, right. and yeah, you know, that just makes your mind too scattered. So, for me, if part of my kind of mental health management is that I have to incorporate it into my day.
0: You know, if you're, I, I, I feel the same way. Um, I, I want to definitely get to the monasteries in India thing because that's amazing, and I'm sure you had really cool experiences. But, uh, but first, let me just say, uh. I think I was listening to somebody like Wayne Dyer or Deepak Chopra Mm -hmm. probably in the early 2000s, maybe somewhere between 03 and 07. And I had my last before I retired Air Force job that was insanely busy. So, Mm -hmm. um, So I remember one of those moments where, you know, I'm already got like too much work right? And then Mm -hmm. the boss comes over and says, you've got five minutes to X, Y, Z. (laughs) And then you're going to go talk to the commander and, uh, and explain how cool I am. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, you know, I had to get over that, that, oh my God, panic moment. Right. Um, and then thankfully, you know, I'm, I'm, I was in charge and had a semi-private office anyways. I think there was one other desk that was like, sometimes there was somebody sitting there in my, in my little closet, <laughs> but they weren't there. So yay. So I closed the door and I remember, I think it was either Wayne or Deepak said, when you're in this, this crazy moment, the best thing to do is just try to quiet your mind. And I had already been trying to do the meditation practices and I sat there and I said, okay, I got five minutes I'll give 30 seconds to silence and see how I do. <laughs> yeah. And it was amazing. You know, those, yep. those 30 seconds of silence where I just tried to go to that, that, you know, mini meditation, what you're talking about that you can mm-hmm. do, uh, as many times as you need to throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I ended up having more time <laughs> than I needed. Yeah, that's,
1: yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. I, I think people confuse simplicity of the method with not having power. Right. And actually there's huge power in just a moment of resting the mind. And also, I, I don't know what a hurdle I had that I kind of seem to have kind of moved beyond now is that that feeling like, oh, if I'm meditating, I must quiet you know, I must quiet my mind, stop thinking thoughts. Right, right. Whereas actually what I've kind of been able to develop with my practice is the ability just to you know, if my mind's racing away because there's too much work or whatever, just sort of sit with it and just let it come and let it go, and then right. that act of not resisting, yeah. it just naturally, you know, what do they say? You know, like the the, the sort of the, the snake uncoils itself.
0: Totally. Yes. Well, it's it's almost like uh, once you've done it enough and you fight the dragon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, the thing is, is the meditation teachers always, you know, uh, they always say, you know, I'm going to give you this paradoxical instruction. You know, mm-hmm. sit quietly, relax, yeah, <laughs> take yeah, a deep yeah. breath, yeah. you know, exactly. <laughs> it's like, ah, just stop talking, you know, uh, but if you keep at it, I think you're, you're right. You get to these where you're not trying to do these impossible things, you know, like stop doesn't, thinking <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't work. It. <laughs> right. That's okay. So we've teased it enough. So let's talk about, um, your, your time in monasteries in India. So how did you get there and what happened when you were there?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's all, it's all kind of related. So I guess my time in journalism was awesome, but it was intense as well. You know, it's that very pressured environment, as you can imagine, crazy deadlines and very emotional sort of uh, newsrooms. Sometimes people demanding things at a moment's notice. And so it was great, but after a while, I'll be honest, it kind of, it did burn me out. It really burnt me out and, and, and it kind of, made me think, you know, okay, I went into journalism because actually I wanted to kind of do some good in the world. And I wanted to kind of, um, yeah, how, you know, expose wrongs and all that was probably ridiculously naive, but you know, to, to, to write stories that had a positive impact in the world. And after a while I was kind of, I don't want to write about this sort of stuff. You know, maybe I was doing celebrity stories or just, you know, door stepping somebody else. This is not me. This is not, this is not who I am. And so I kind of, I, I did have a veer. It kind of, you know, it just burnt me out. And so I then, um, I went to kind of get myself together a bit and I had some acupuncture. Oh, nice. And, yeah. And I met this guy who, um, back home, bizarrely, who, who, who knew my mother. So, this okay, here's a crazy story. So my, uh, when I was a baby, when I was like three years old, a little kid, uh, I used to, this woman used to cut my hair and, uh, my mum kind of just remained friends with this hairdresser bizarrely then kind of for the rest of her life. And then when I was, so when I was kind of a bit burnt out in my late twenties, um, my mum was still friends with this woman. And this woman now was the receptionist at an acupuncture center. And she said, Oh, there's this great acupuncturist. Alistair should go and see him. He's awesome. He's awesome. And so like, I thought well, acupuncture. I never done that before. It sounds a bit odd or, but I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. And so I went to see this guy. And so this connection had kind of been waiting since I was like three years old. It's bizarre. And, bizarre. Uh, <laughs> and he, um, and I just connected with this guy and and so he's treating me and I started to feel better and more energy and everything. And he, um, and he, and I said to him, I said, God, you're really like chilled out. You're really calm. Like, how do you do that? And he said, Oh, I'm like, you know, I, I practice Buddhism and I go to this monastery in the South of India and everything. And, and I thought, that's interesting. And so I, um, so I kind of, so I went to like this, this teacher, this Buddhist teacher came over to the UK. I went to a teaching with him for a couple of years and just, I deliberately wanted to approach it slowly. I didn't want it to be like a fad, you know, like, oh, I did Buddhism last week and now it's something else.
0: Now and I'm so old, I, now it's done. Right. I have yeah, it now. I'm done.
1: Exactly. And so for <laughs> right. a couple of years, I kind of started to read more about it and I went to some talks and everything. And then in like 2007, like there was an opportunity to go to retreat, uh, this Tibetan monastery in the South of India near Bangalore. And I thought. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go on this meditation retreat. And it's like you fly to Bangalore, then you're like in a Jeep for six hours into the middle of the countryside. And I'd never been to India before. And so it was a completely alien experience. And yeah, I'll be honest, crazy. you know, so I am mean, in this very traditional Tibetan Buddhist monastery, you know, the monks there and, you know, all the, all the tankers and all the, the, the kind of ritual paintings and all that. And it was just like landing on another planet. Yeah. And, I was, and I'll be honest with you, the first few days I was like, I want to go home. Like this is just too much. I can't I'm
0: tired, I'm hungry. I'm tired, I'm, I'm jet lagged, I don't get hurts. it. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're saying I don't words, understand like, the language. Like, rest <laughs> mind, what's this? You know. Right. And yet by the end of that experience, it was like my mind rested there in a way it hadn't rested for years. Mm. And and this, there's a power in those monasteries. Okay, this might be getting a bit out there, but okay. I really believe I really believe that there is a because of all the practice that has been done there over the years and all the medit the ret- people the retreatants who've been there and the monks that the, all the incredible practice they've accumulated over the years and it just felt like yeah this is my yeah you know, cuz I was brought up a christian see of church of england and I always had a spiritual side to me that I kind of I, I neglected right and when I connected with buddhism it was like yeah this is my path and then I kind of went back on retreat every year for the next pretty much the next 10 years wow. um, retreats. Yeah. So back to India every year, deepening my going to like amazing philosophical teachings on Tibetan Buddhism and, and deepening my meditation practice. I met my wife through the, through the organization, through the Tibetan Buddhist organization. We then took our daughter out to the monastery to India when she was just four months old, which now I look back and go, that was insane.
0: That's crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <A seven-hour> flight. <laughs> Um, wow. I proposed. I proposed to my wife at the monastery. It just became part of your life. Yeah, yeah. part a big, of my life. A big part and, of your life. A big part of my life. And 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 convert. And bizarrely, it then links up with work because the, one the, the main teacher there was kind of setting up his organization around the world, and they needed help with like press. And said, Oh, you're a genius, aren't you? And I said, Well, yeah, yeah. I've kind of, you know, I didn't want to kind of bring it into it. I was like, Well, no, this is my spiritual thing. I don't want to mix right, it. Right, You with, don't want your worlds to collide. No. But, <laughs> but like, No, 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 no. This is great. This is a you know, work, you know, bring it to the spiritual. That gives it power. And so I started to like teach a, a group of volunteers around the world how to kind of people who've never done press work before, how to kind of get press for their uh, t- for their Buddhist events, how wow. to kind of Help do fundraising, press, and all this sort of stuff. And so it was that was then-
0: like the seed of exactly. class PR.
1: Got it, Jeff. <laughs> I, I figured it out. That's, that's, and that was the seed of not immediately, but it was like, yeah. hang on a you can teach anyone to do this. Yeah. If I could teach a bunch of Buddhists in India in a monastery <laughs> how to how to work a newsroom. Yeah. Yeah. And so the circle was kind of complete and mm. um and, yeah, we haven't been back to the monastery for the last couple of years because we've had another child, but we're hoping to go this year. And, um, yeah, it's just – it's a magical place. And then we actually, for our honeymoon in 2011, went up to our teacher's teachers' monastery, which is up in Sikkim, which is a kingdom in North India between uh, Nepal and Bhutan. And if you want to know what Shangri-La is like, <laughs> mm. this is the closest – it is – yeah, I've never it's as like much a fairy as
0: a beautiful. Yeah,
1: I've never been anywhere like it. You go, wow. you're in the foothills of the Himalayas. Wow. Everywhere you're up, like two and a half thousand meters up. Mm. It is where a lot of the Tibetans escape from. You when don't have to, to get t-
0: high. You're already high.
1: Oh my God! Honestly,
0: <laughs> literally by altitude, you're high.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're high. You're spiritually high. You're geographically high. high right, Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just wonderful, and so um, yeah, I'm a great a story.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Pleasure. That was amazing. Pleasure. So uh, as we wrap up, I want to drop a thing on you that I like to do to British people. So where were you on 5-1? five one? Everybody remembers where they were during five one. Uh, uh, think about it. Think about five, it. Five, five one. Five, it was five. What? Five, five, on. five one. Maybe I, I maybe I don't have the reference exact, but like it, it was we- it was a World Cup match.
1: Oh god, is this <laughs> hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you totally broke me here, Jeff. <laughs> on, five one. So hang on, is this is this America in the World Cup or something? No, 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 no,
0: no. It's Germany over uh, England beats Germany five one.
1: Oh, oh my God! I've got an amazing story for you, Jeff. Thank. I know you do.
0: Everybody remembers where they were. I just don't know what British people call it.
1: <laughs> so, what do you? How do you refer to this game? So you mean when England beat Germany five-one in the Correct. qualifiers for the Correct. World Cup? Correct. Yes. I'll tell you where I was. I'll tell you where I was, Jeff. Okay, I was great. Outside the stadium. You were there. I was there, my friend. Wow. So, um I wasn't I didn't go to the match but I was still working as a journalist and I had a brilliant editor and um uh, and he said uh, I wasn't a sports journalist but there was it was still when there was a little bit of money washing around in in newsrooms and sure. uh and uh oh England are playing Germany they're gonna get absolutely stuffed I want you to go out there and do a color piece about what the England you know about the miserable England fans after they lose <laughs> this is was the I'm plan not, okay this is, a, this is a true story so i'm like oh brilliant a freebie trip to munich. it was in munich i'd never been to munich so i got on a flight wow, went out to nice. munich and he said so and I, he said look you can have a bit of fun have a few beers and just relax you know and and he said you know you can write the story a, before you get there yeah and he said you know and only <laughs> write a story you know if it's kind of if it's really strong you know but just go and have some fun wow went out there sat in a bar on my own, drinking these massive Steiners of, uh, is that what they're called? You know, lager and it's strong beer out there. Yes, It's strong. So I had a couple of these and I was feeling pretty, uh, a lot stronger
0: than those ales you get in England. Yeah. Much stronger, much colder. (laughs) And I was
1: feeling, (laughs) and I thought I better check what the score is because you know, and so I, so I, so I was in this bar and I went around the back of the bar where the TV was, and it was like England were like three nil up or something. I was going, oh, my God. He's then on the phone going, have you seen the score? Have you seen the score? You need to write a piece. <laughs> and I was going, I
0: can't write. I'm drunk. <laughs> what did you do in a previous I, life? You know, you, you've so, had all these things just drop in your lap.
1: You know, it, it, yeah it's bizarre it is bizarre and so yeah and it went on to five one so then i had to like in my inebriated state i then had to go and uh speak to england fans and like uh, get their reaction and then uh, so and That's this was perfect before, state yeah <laughs> so i had all these quotes and all this sort of stuff and this was before um like uh you know really having a laptop on the road or an email so right. it was, you had copy desks so i had to then phone up the copy desk and like read my story down the phone to the, to the, uh, to the copy taker at the other end. So you're going, wow. you know, uh, England tonight triumphed in Munich after a five, one thrashing of the old rivals, you know, yeah. point part next sentence, uh, John, you know, John, John Brown from, uh, Scunthorpe was here and said that I can't believe, you know, and so I had to read, you know, write the whole story over the phone. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and then the next day I got the plane back with all these really drunk England fans, Hung which over, was one of the most... Yes. Yeah, it's quite a terrifying experience, obviously. <laughs> 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 but that's where I was. I was in Munich, stood outside writing a story.
0: <laughs> well, the reason why I asked was because I was in uh, Edinburgh. Uh, I, was ah. on a, uh, I was on a bus trip from RAF Lake and Heath, And <laughs> I was thoroughly... Uh, Oblivious, I was definitely Mister Magooing and Clouseauing my 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 way through life, vrooming and <laughs> vrooming and vrooming and vrooming and no veering at all. Um, so I I knew vaguely that England was in the World Cup, <laughs> and I knew vaguely that I found out that Edinburgh was crazy already because mm-hmm. Fringe Fest was going on. Yeah, yeah and yeah. so it was in it was an impossible. My impossible thing to do on that day before I found out that England had beat Germany 5-1 was I was on a quest to find a place to pee. (laughs) 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 And and it was impossible because I had had way too many pints and there were way too many people in Edinburgh on the street partying for Fringe Fest. And then I found out about (laughs) 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 5-1 and they were going crazy. Yeah, so that yeah, bus yeah. ride home, all the all the English people were just going nuts. I remember yeah. the bus driver was just ecstatic, and I was it like, was- "What's the big deal?" And he's like, "Oh, you don't get it." <laughs> and he was like, "They're our arch enemy. Like we've been yeah, know, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Uh, uh, it's a beat Germany five <clears throat> one in Germany. Right is, is epic." Just- It just doesn't happen.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) But it did. Right. And it did. Yeah. So that that became like this watershed moment for all of England, right? It's like you can ask any English person where they were that day. And after they figure out what you're talking about, they're going to have a story. No, no. I'll have to. I'll say uh, maybe I have to say Germany 5-1 right? Then, yeah. Oh yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Say that. If, yeah, I, if I, cause I thought it was nine eleven ish. So I was just trying to be coy.
1: <laughs> no, I was thinking, I was thinking May the first, what happened on May the first? <laughs> uh, that's where
0: you went. See, so I, I, if I say Germany five, one, then, then, you know, exactly oh, yeah. When I'm talking, you're there about.
1: then. Definitely. <laughs> you're
0: there then. Thank you're you, there. Alistair. This has been a blast. So you are at class PR.com. That's and uh, how else can folks get in touch with you and uh, get your freebies?
1: So, yeah. So if you go to class-pr.com, you can uh, straight out on the right at the top of the page. You can't miss it is get the template. Click on that and you'll get the free press release template. And it's going to give you everything you need to be able to construct a proper newsworthy press release that a journalist will love. You get media coverage from it. I've used it thousands <laughs> of times. so I know it works. You can also get, uh, get, in, get in touch with me on Twitter at Alistair Clay. That's A L I S T A I R C L A Y, or at ClassPRHQ. That's our Twitter handle, uh, and uh, yeah, you can grab me there. Basically, those are the kind of my preferred sort of channels. Awesome. And uh, yeah, just 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 dig in because there's so much awesome free content at ClassPR. Like like I say, how-to guides. There's a there's about sixty PR hack videos. There's loads of blogs, and uh, I've got my own podcast the famous business where i speak to businesses and find out how they've uh, used pr to build their businesses and there's about 60 episodes there now and if you're having a, an issue with your pr i can guarantee one of those entrepreneurs has had the same issue and mm. they figured it out. so there's tons and tons of great content there for anybody who wants to get media coverage for their business without spending a bloody fortune <laughs>
0: <laughs> thanks man this has been a blast i appreciate I you reaching it. out and uh, and hanging out with me for an hour
1: Loved it, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Have a good one. See you later. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer.
0: For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E R Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer.